a man was uh, walking out of church one day, and the preacher was standing back by the by the corner door, uh, shaking hands with everyone, and and he grabbed this one man and pulled him aside, and he said, "Hey, you need to Lord, uh, join the Lord's army." And uh, he said, "Well, actually, I, I'm already a part of it. I'm a I'm a part of the Lord's army." He said, "Well, wh- why don't I see you except for on Christmas and Easter?" He whispered. He said, "Hey, I'm in the Secret Service." Oh, that was that was good. Yep. We're uh we're in our Elijah series, week two, and um and actually that joke is relevant because we're gonna talk about someone who we probably would think was in the Secret Service. Um at this point in, in history, it was a, a very dark time. Um the uh the king Ahab and his, his wife Jezebel, they were the leaders and they were uh things actually seemed to be going well as a as a as a country. Um, but they were leading people to worship the god, uh, false god Baal. Um, and uh, sometimes I think, and the government does some things I really don't like. Well, they were leading uh, child sacrifices, temple prostitutes. I mean, it was it was a really tough place to be in. Well, uh, uh, this prophet Elijah we talked about last week, he confronted the king, and he said that there's going to be a drought on the land. And it's going to last a while. It actually lasted three and a half years. We find that recorded in the book of James later. So last week, we looked at how Elijah went to the widow at Zarephath, and he was hiding out. And Ahab was looking for Elijah most of the time. Uh, as Elijah said, it's only going to rain at my word. And once I speak it, then it will rain. Well, Ahab likely didn't believe him at first, so yeah, who cares what this crazy guy says? Well, now all of a sudden, we've gone a few months, and no rain, and there was no place to to get uh, for the for the animals to graze, and this is a problem now. So he's got everyone chasing Elijah. Um, and then we get to the next step in our story, as this is a four week series, and it's going to continue to grow each week. And uh, there's really a just a, a climax of this story. It's in First Kings. We started in chapter 17 last week. We're going to be in chapter 18 now in just a second here. So if you if you do want to follow along, First Kings chapter 18, verse one. After a long time, in the third year, so the third year of the drought, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, I can only imagine being Elijah, uh, wondering what, what took so long. I mean, things are falling apart around us, and, and, uh, and I'm just going to sit here and hang out with this widow and let her take care of me for three years, three and a half years. What took so long? But now it was finally time. This was the moment. He was going to face Ahab. And on his way to Samaria, uh, he had a delay. He met a man named Obadiah. Now, he was also a servant of God. And like Elijah, he served God in a very surprising place. The scripture continues. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land. Uh, they were to cover Ahab going one direction, and Obadiah in the other. Well, just like last week with this widow at Zarephath, 
uh, we're going to be looking more at, at, at Obadiah than Elijah. And there's a reason for it. See, he was Ahab, King Ahab's chief of staff. He oversaw the servants and the waiters and the, the king's appointments. He had to be very trusted by Ahab. Yet, he feared the Lord. And Ahab did not. This is the tension. This is the tension that I think we face as well. Uh, Obadiah had to be so torn. He has this desire to live one way, fearing the Lord, and love, fear, this fear, I assume, would have led to love for God, and, uh, and, and then his leaders doing all these corrupt things, but he has to kind of be a part of it. That would be tough. You have to wonder how such a godly man could end up working uh, or serving King Ahab and, and Jezebel, these wicked people, and even more, how he could stay how he could continue to be a part of it. Some commentators see Obadiah as an example of spiritual compromise, watered-down faith. If uh, he was a real man of God like Elijah, wouldn't he have just left? He wouldn't have put up with this, right? I don't agree. God often uses his servants in the darkest places. Joseph was at the right hand of, of Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt. That wasn't an easy place for a believer, but God used him to supply food for the, the people of, of, of Israel. Esther was placed in the court of the king of Persia, but through her, God's people would be delivered from a mass genocide. Daniel was placed in the, in the court of king, Abi, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Imagine how hard that was, but God used Daniel to introduce himself to Nebuchadnezzar. In the New Testament, we we see it happen over and over. Uh, a woman named Joanna was uh, King Herod's household manager. She was also one of the women who uh, were at, uh, went to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning. Imagine working in Herod's palace, the same place that John the Baptist was beheaded, and she was following Jesus. In his letter to the Philippians, uh, Paul greets those who are of Caesar's household. They, there were believers in the, the highest level of the Roman Empire, was a very dark place. Obadiah was not the only follower of God who uh, was used by him in a dark place. Different believers have different roles. Elijah served God from the outside. He, he, he confronted evil. Obadiah worked from within, saved a lot of people. I assume that, uh, that many of, of you maybe feel more like Obadiah than Elijah. Maybe the people you're surrounded by uh, aren't God-fearing people, aren't Christians. And how, do, how do we do that? Do we just get away? Uh, do we join them? Do we, do we uh, hit it head on and, and tell them you, you need to repent now? I think maybe all those are solutions. Maybe you're working in a place where, where things just don't go, uh, things, that, things go on that you're not comfortable with. A teacher not supporting everything in the curriculum. A lawyer may not feel like the law is actually wrong, or, or maybe they feel that a law, a law is wrong. Um, a doctor may not agree with all the medical options. A politician may not want to go along with the administration because of certain compromises that are made. Maybe you find yourself at a company that the ethics just aren't favorable. And so we ask, then, as a Christian, what do I do? How do I, how do I face this? I can't answer you for it because I th think there's different options. But here in this story of Obadiah, I think we find a, a real option. We see that this played out in a, in a tough way for him. We need people of integrity uh, in, in all areas. In every, every walk of life, we need people 
uh, from the local grocery store uh, to the biggest companies in the world. I read a story about a big company. You, you probably have heard of it. In the spring of 2006, an administrative assistant at Coca-Cola's Atlanta headquarters left work with several classified materials hidden in her purse. These materials included recipes for upcoming products, future promotions, and a beverage sample for a product not yet on the market. With the help of two other employees, the, uh, the administrative assistant sent a letter to Pepsi, Coke's oldest and biggest competitor, offering to sell the secrets. It was a chance for Pepsi to seriously damage its competitors uh, for a pretty low price. Well, immediately upon the receiving the letter, however, Pepsi officials contacted Coca-Cola's headquarters, which then called the FBI. The feds conducted a sting operation that netted three conspirators two months later when they agreed to part with the secrets for one and a half million dollars. They said we were just doing what any responsible company would do. Despite the fierce competition in the industry, it should also be fair. That's a tough one. What do you do when you, when you face one of those ethical dilemmas that eh, it might be right, it might be wrong, is it worth fighting? Couldn't have been easy for Obadiah. I, I just can't imagine being that close, that direct, uh, or that much a part of so much evil. What was he supposed to do? Obadiah, I'm sure, faced great tension. Obey God, obey the king. So how do we manage it? We wish that it were always black and white. Uh, I, I think that sometimes uh, when we, our first thought is, that's completely wrong, or, or, uh, or that's right. Um, there's so many gray areas. Uh, we have different experiences that lead us up to something. We have different, um, different people have taught us. Uh, and so people learn in different ways, and it's hard sometimes to understand why someone else thinks the way they do. But Obadiah shows us that God can use, a, use us in the dark, uh, surprising places to make a difference for him. Even Jesus said it's not going to be easy. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Doesn't sound like we have a chance. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That's a tough balance. I want to be innocent but I also need to be shrewd. Sometimes that sounds manipulative. Sometimes, sometimes is that divisive? Am I doing something wrong? Am I being dishonest? If I do something dishonest, but it's for a good cause, is that okay? It's, it's, it's pretty tough. And guess what? We're probably not going to know a lot of times, even when we make those tough decisions. Obadiah's willing, willingness to work undercover for God within an evil regime allowed him to make a, a big difference. He saved around 100 people. If he was a prophet like Elijah wouldn't have happened. He couldn't have done it. But he was a faithful man in a hard place when it mattered most. Maybe, maybe that moment is coming for you. Maybe it already has. But what are we going to do when that happens? Then like uh, while Obadiah was search, searching for grass, uh, he's on his journey, he runs into Elijah, and here's what happens. This is how the story ends. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. 
but now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to Ahab, went to meet Ahab, and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. All right, that's where we're going to stop in the text today. We're, we're going to keep going in it next week. But Elijah, at this point, needs Obadiah to arrange a meeting between himself and Ahab. And he was, Obadiah was willing to risk his life for these prophets. So you think, well, he's not afraid of anyone. But then it gets to this point, and he's like, well, they're, he's going to kill me. He doesn't feel like this is a good idea. Elijah likes to just disappear. And he thinks, well, if he does it again, I'm dead. Is this really worth it? Elijah reassures him, though, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Notice the difference in the two. Um, Elijah just uses a few words. He's very simple. Just get it out there, and we're done. Move on. But Obadiah, he, I mean, it took a while to read what he had to say. He's very complex. He's in a complex world, and internally he's processing things a little differently than Elijah. And I, I think this this shows us the differences in, in, in us. We don't all think the same way. Charles Spurgeon said, I suspect Elijah didn't think very much of Obadiah. He doesn't treat him with any great consideration, but addresses him more sharply than one would expect from a fellow believer. Elijah was the man of action, bold, always to the front, with nothing to conceal. Obadiah was a quiet believer, true and steadfast, but in a very difficult position, and therefore driven to perform his duty in a less open manner. His faith in the Lord swayed his life, but didn't drive him out of the court. I think maybe we do that to others. We, we judge people not because of their convictions, but because we have different personalities. How can you be okay with that? How can you put up with that? How can you work there? One person could say, I would never work in that place the way that they are, the way that they treat people. And someone else might say, man, there's a lot of opportunity to share Jesus there. It's two different personalities. I think we, uh, we've defined integrity or character different times. I've heard people say it's, it's what people do when they're alone, or what people do in the dark. And I agree with that, but I also think that it's who we are in the darkness of the world. It, when we're in an environment or, or around people who they just don't care if you uh, let your values go, if you, if you act a little different, if you, you know, say those things or take part in that, um, maybe they even encourage us. But who are you then? We, ha we have to be really careful. At some point, the same person who, at, you know, today is like, hey, yeah, you can do that. You can do that around us. I'll, I'll, never, tell, I'll never tell your wife or, you know, what, whatever. And then, and then in a, a couple months, maybe they're going through something, and they think, well, I, maybe I should talk to him because he said he has faith, but I don't really know if it makes a difference in his life. So maybe it wouldn't in mine either. We have to do good when no one's looking, but we also have to do good when no one cares. I found, a, I found a local story. It's actually from 19 years ago, and I came across it just looking for some things, and I don't know this, uh, how to pronounce his name, but 
as a 17-year-old, Nate Hassis he left the football field on Saturday, October 25th, 2003. He was a senior quarterback at Springfield Southeast High School. In the last game of the season, uh, his team had beaten Cahokia High School 42-20. to But he had an additional reason to be riding high. With seconds left in the game of his high school career, he, he had completed a 37-yard pass, and it gave him 5,006 yards in his career, setting a new Central State 8 record and making him one of 12 Illinois high school quarterbacks to pass for 5,000 yards. But a post-game press conference with both coaches would later confirm that it was not all as it had appeared. With less than a minute to go in the game, Hassis was 29 yards short of the record, and since the opposing team had the ball, Springfield's coach realized that the only way Nate would have a chance to break the record was to get the ball back, and so he called a timeout, and Coach Taylor talked with Cahokia's coach, and came up with a secret plan. Springfield Southeast would let Cahokia score an uncontested touchdown, and then Nate's team would get the ball back with time on the clock for one last drive. The agreement was that when Nate passed the ball, Cahokia defenders would not attempt to interfere. A few days later, Nate wrote a letter to the president of the athletic conference asking that that pass be stricken from the record books. In it, he wrote, while I admittedly would like to have passed the record, as I think most high school quarterbacks would, I'm requesting that the Central State 8 does not include this pass in the record books. The honor student who has stated he would like to attend the Ivy League school, which I didn't find, I couldn't find if he actually did or not, he said, I just didn't feel right having it. I wanted to preserve the integrity and the sportsmanship of the league. I remember uh, years ago, Michael Strahan, uh, it was the, uh, the NFL sack record, and the same thing happened, Brett Favre, went down, he let, him, he let him sack him so he could pass the record. And then this high school kid, he has the integrity. Even, even when no one else cared, when the coaches actually came together to do this, this kid stepped up. It might, be a, it might be a kid who does this. It might be someone who everyone around you says, hey, you're doing the right thing. This is, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with this. And you say, no, I, I'm not going to go along with it. That's integrity. It was when no one else seemed to care. In the Old Testament, uh, there are different kinds of titles used for people that God used. And, and I really think, again, uh, these, these kind of show the differences in, in our personalities. Uh, there's the, the prophets and the priests and the, the politicians, or mostly it was kings. But the prophets were called uh, to speak the truth, even when it was hard. They condemned sin and they called people to righteousness. The priests were called more to comfort hurting people and to intercede uh, before, or for them before God. Politicians were called to lead and negotiate ways to apply God's truth in the real world. The kings could just make a law. But consider how these callings might approach something today. Uh, something, I, I think of an issue, and I, I, don't, I don't go into too much of it, but, uh, but like abortion. The prophet, very clearly, would denounce it. The priest would minister to those who are hurt by it. The Christian politician will try to figure out how to bring God's truth into the real world. All three different roles, three types of people who, who probably don't see how someone else looks at the issue the way that they do. They say, why would you see it like that? Or how can you, well, that's, it's because God's using us in different ways. And I'm so, I'm so thankful, I'm so glad that we have each other uh, because I, I just think if we had all prophets, uh, we would be in trouble. If we had all priests, there would be no truth. Um, if we had all politicians, 
I'm not going to say anything else on that. Paul says in Romans 14:4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant stand or fall? I think I'm more of a, a priest than a prophet. Um, occasionally, I'll, I'll take a stand if I have to. Uh, but most of the time, I, I try to have compassion and understand a, a deeper reason why someone's feeling the way they do or why someone did the thing they did. I, I know a lot of people are prophets, and I think, I think actually a lot of times, maybe even more often than not, they're right on an issue, but it comes across in a way that no one wants to hear it. I know a, a local politician... Uh, she is wonderful. Is she here today? Where's she at? I can't say your name from up here because of, uh, I think, a constitutional amendment, but I think you're great. Um, and I was only kidding about the other part of the politicians. So <laughs> We probably need to be three different uh, people at different times, and I don't mean to be fake. I don't mean to, to step away uh, from our values. Uh, what I mean is we use different voices in different situations. At times we might have to take a stand, but at times we also might need to step back and try to be understanding. The way that Jesus handled things, we have to figure out how, how we can do this and be faithful at the same time, even when others are not. It's not to be popular. It's not to fit in. It's not to do what he's doing or she's doing. It's when I, when I pray about this, when I think, well, how would Jesus have handled this person in this situation? And even if I don't want to, I have to do it. That's what we all have to do. Like Obadiah, Jesus didn't confront sin from the outside. He became one of us, and he worked from within. Like Obadiah, Jesus was misunderstood. Like Obadiah, he rescued many. So as we go into our time of communion, in just a minute, we're, we're going to, uh, uh, everyone's welcome to join. If you're a believer of Jesus, uh, you can take communion. We'll have ushers dismiss tables at a time and uh, just come up and take it. I know it's a little bit different setup, but we can probably squeeze through and do this. But as we go into that, we're reminded that Jesus came into a dark world. We say it's dark now, but when I look back at these stories, you can look back to, um, to Jesus' time and, and just think of the corruption of the Roman Empire. You can look back to, uh, to King Ahab and some of the other very evil kings. It didn't just get dark all of a sudden. There's been, there's been evil. Satan's been trying to attack us for a long, long time. But Jesus came in and he said, no, I'm, I'm going to fight this for you. And I'm going to win this for you. And, and he set the example. I'm, he loved people in the shadows. He showed us what it looked like to live in the light and to reflect that onto others. And so it's going to take character. It's going to take integrity. Uh, and you may be in a really tough place right now. And I, can, I, I want to say I, I, can, I can't relate. Uh, the, my coworkers are pretty nice. Um, and, and I think they're all Christians working in a church. I kind of have a little safety bubble, I guess, um, I worked in a factory for four years, uh, and it was completely different. And I know that. I know sometimes you, you want to um, handle something a certain way, and then someone next to you, or maybe it's your boss, and, and they want to take a shortcut, and like, this isn't right. I, I know there are so many of you that are probably facing that right now. Um, so I, I would just, uh, I hope this was encouraging, this example of Obadiah. Um, but it's, it's not all black and white. It, it really is tough. But just keep praying, keep following uh, the example of Jesus, and ask the Spirit to lead you. Like Obadiah, it might be scary. Like with Jesus, it might take a sacrifice. But this is who we are. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are, we are forgiven. Uh, we know that we might mess up, 
Not that we do it on purpose. We do the best we can in following him, but that's where grace comes in. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are made right with God because of the blood of Jesus. And that shows us that we are loved. And through all that, Jesus said to go, make disciples, all nations, teaching them. We are commissioned. If you don't know uh, the good news of Jesus, I'd I'd love to talk to you after the service uh, if this is new to you. uh, Because truthfully, we can't go in. We can't go through this world without knowing him. I I can't imagine not knowing a a better way and just being sucked in of trying to make a a decision that keeps, keeps people liking me or makes me happy or is the popular move. That just doesn't work. That's why we have this darkness. We have a better way in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us in every way. It, 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 sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Uh, I know that we face a lot of challenges in this world, uh, but you, you told us that would happen. In this world, we will have trouble, but you've told us to take heart because you've overcome the world. And for that, we are thankful uh, that even in the darkness, uh, there's light. Uh, even in uh, the brokenness, there's a chance for restoration. Uh, even when we um, face the uh, just the scariest moments in our lives, uh, we know that we have hope of eternity. And so I pray for everyone here uh, that as we move forward, uh, we will hold on to that hope, that we will feel loved, that we will feel grace when we mess up, that we, will, that we can accept the forgiveness and maybe not sit, be so hard on ourselves at times uh, because you have made everything right. And for that, we're, we're thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.